to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. Before we start, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please visit the episode notes on your podcast app. We are back with the OG, Michael Watson. What's up, what's up? I mean, <laughs> hi. Hey, how are you today, Michael? I'm good. Very well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me back. You actually drive this episode quite a bit today, so this is nice. Oh, I'm just worried Maz is going to take my bloody job. (laughs) Uh, Before we get started into the episode, uh, I think we should talk about a special event that is occurring. Mm. Um, It's on Thursday, the 11th of March, which is sooner than I realized when I organized it. Mm. And it's around Sears new movie. There's been so much talk about it. I've been asked by so many people if we're going to cover it. At the same time, autism advocates are extremely upset by, by what is apparently depicted in the movie, as well as how it was created. So without giving it like too much energy, because <laughs> I also don't want to go in depth at analyzing something that is trash so but i don't know if it's trash yet so we're going to watch it together and live stream it so we will watch it on your behalf so if you're interested in watching and listening to us live stream and discuss the movie as we watch it join our patreon as a member all tiers this is available too uh, you can just join for the month and then cancel it. It's totally, <laughs> it's not. You don't have to lock in. But like uh, lock, but lock in. But lock Steph, in. <laughs> tell them to tell them to lock in, Steph. Uh, but yeah, it's very exciting uh, and very nerve wracking. So it, it might be a train wreck, but at least you'll be able to watch it and, and and get some popcorn and watch the train wreck happen. And not watch Sia's movie. Yeah, not give her that any she's money. Been a bit of because <laughs> somehow she's managed to snap up some Golden Globe nominations, even though. Apparently the film's pretty pretty bad, so <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. We'll let you know, Patreon subscribers. Uh, so yeah, join our Patreon, which is Psychocinematic Podcast Patreon. Don't forget we have Instagram, Twitter now, Facebook, all the things. The movie we are doing today... It's a, in, in a similar vein to music in that it's been widely... Uh, panned mm-hmm. by the group it depicts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I chose this one because I wanted to focus on a physical disability and when I was thinking about it, it popped into my head and I was like, do we really want to go there? But why not? So it's, it is, Michael, what is it? It is <laughs> Me Before You. So Me Before You was directed by... Thea Sharrick. <laughs> And uh, was based on the novel by Jojo Moyes. Yes, you may recognise that name from airport bookshops. <laughs> yeah. and book clubs, basically. <laughs> Women's book clubs. I, keep in mind, doing this movie, I really, when, when doing this podcast, I really want to start, once we get a bit more of a, I guess, listener base, um, include more people on this podcast with a lived experience of the um, things that we are talking about. Uh, We do not have that today, unfortunately. Um, So please take everything we say with that in mind that we're we're talking about this movie from 
our perspective as people without this disability. And if you are interested in being on this podcast and discussing a movie with me and you have some lived experience and don't hate the sound of your own voice, mm-hmm. uh, hit me up. I, I'd be very keen to have more voices besides mine <laughs> and family members of mine. <laughs> um, so me before you, I know, Michael, you have written a beautiful uh, summary of the plot. Take it away. So the film opens on Will Trainer, a rich and successful banker type with a hot, sexy girlfriend, as Steph wrote in our notes. <laughs> Was it in quotations? <laughs> who suffers a spinal cord injury, rendering him quadriplegic. Two years later, we meet Lou Clark, a quirky, happy-go-lucky gal who's just lost her job at a coffee shop and needs work to support her working-class family. And she's dressed like a queen, and I want everything in her wardrobe. Opportunity knocks when she's hired by Will's mum to be his companion, staying with him roughly nine to five in his wing of the family mansion. Uh, Will only has movement from the neck up with a little bit of hand control. Um, He has blood pressure and temperature fluctuations that he can't detect, and he's very vulnerable to infections, as explained by his dinky die Aussie healthcare worker of undisclosed discipline. Who answers the phone and says, G'day. G'day. <laughs> Always fun to see an Australian accent grading up against other accents. He doesn't put it on, though. You have to give him that. No, like, it's, the it sounds do. natural. So despite Will's initial scepticism and resentment, they hit it off as she's unlike previous companions who impose on him their ideas of what he needs or what he'll enjoy. But things take a turn when Lou finds out that he plans to attend a Swiss euthanasia clinic in six months' time. He had apparently attempted suicide six months before and promised his parents that he'd essentially live for one more year and give them the opportunity to convince him to not die, in effect. What follows is a bucket list type narrative where Lou takes it upon herself to convince him to go on living. We love a bucket list narrative. Yeah, just like the movie The Bucket bucket List. list. (laughs) They go to his ex-girlfriend's wedding, to his ex-best friend and act cosy. They go to the races, they go to the opera, uh, dinner at Lou's family's place and finally to Mauritius on holiday. So Lou, throughout all this, you may be surprised to learn that Lou had a boyfriend throughout all this called Patrick. Neville Longbottom. Neville Longbottom. Um, And they end up splitting up um, because she loved Will, (laughs) but he loved running. (laughs) The Mauritius holiday ends with Will contracting pneumonia um, and he admits that he still intends to go ahead with his death in Switzerland. There's a lowest point type moment when they're not talking for a while. He leaves for Switzerland, and but then she's convinced by his dad to chase after him. She does, and they spend his final moments together, sort of bathed in sunlight in this sort of improbably beautiful euthanasia yeah. <laughs> clinic. Yeah, but- the final scene, uh, Lou's in a Paris cafe we sort of hear him posthumously narrating a letter to her about how he's given her a bunch of money to follow her dreams, which is obviously to go and sit in a cafe in Paris, um, and how he only ever existed to make her feel better about herself. But he doesn't actually say that. He says, (laughs) live boldly, push yourself, don't settle. And he says that he has given her life. 
She didn't ask for it, though. <laughs> it's all a bit weird. Ooh. That's it. Was there anything? Is there anything? No, you I should... covered that beautifully. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think something that's almost part of the plot beyond the film in the real world is the backlash. <laughs> yeah, that um that happened. Yeah, you... I remember there being backlash at the time. And so I remember watching it to see what they were talking about. I was like, oh, yeah. So um, there's a lot of uh, disability advocates and people with disabilities out there who really didn't like this movie being made. Um, obviously, it was a book first, so I think they all kind of knew the plot. Um, Carly Finlay put together a really good article with everything in it that you need to read from from all sides including people that that thought it was a good film um so it's really worth reading um we'll we'll link it in the in the notes but yeah she she along with other people protested it being screened the i guess the biggest message was don't tell us that we shouldn't live basically Mm. that was a big part of the message that they were getting from the film is this man wants to die because he's disabled and you're okay with that being depicted and what does that say to us us people with disabilities disabled people who are very happily living our lives yeah i think it was really very warranted backlash i know you've done a bit of research though yourself i've done some research and i've been on a bit of a journey yeah tell me about your journey with this <laughs> with this well initially I was a bit sort of sceptical about, like, these sort of peak bodies for people with disabilities saying, you know, boycott the movie, it's telling us that we should be dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, oh, that's a bit much. Like, it's just one story and... Um, Which is your usual kind of thought, thought that process is my when usual, there's backlash, yeah. Yeah. I, I was a bit like that with Tully, yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, in retrospect, I think I could probably amend some of my views that I expressed in Tully based on this. But, but basically what, what, what I've, I've done a lot of reading and it, what I initially thought was that, like, it's valid for one person who's going through extreme suffering as a result of their acquired disability to go ahead with euthanasia. But when there are so few stories about people with disabilities presented in mainstream film and other media and there's like a an, an unhealthy amount of these stories that end up with the person with a disability dying mm-hmm. intentionally mm-hmm. and then being viewed as like a noble thing mm-hmm. million dollar baby i haven't actually seen that i haven't either but <laughs> it comes it. up very frequently in this well mm. i don't think we should do it because i think we'll have a very similar the, the conversation um because it's a, the same sort of story of like a disability euthanasia yeah anyway like this this story of of somebody with a disability not not being able to tolerate their disability and it being seen as a good thing that they kill themselves as a result um is presented too much and it shapes the way people see people with disabilities and maybe if it was one film among many films that portrayed like disability as a social issue that we're all responsible for Mm. and like some of the fucked up shit that people with disabilities have to go through every single day and films that are 
made by people with disabilities, mm-hmm. as, which this film was very much not. not yeah. <laughs> so I'm on board with the backlash. Wow. I'm well, surprised that you came to that agreement. Because, you know, I'm not someone who thinks that a movie shouldn't be made and seen. Like, I do believe that art is art. And even if you don't like it, there's still a place for it, which is why I think boycotting movies is harsh. But when it, when it came to this movie, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And I think because I am only looking at it from my perspective, if I was somebody, and I know people, who sees themselves in this film with a similar disability, then I would be really upset by this movie. Mm. Um, so I totally support a movement that says this isn't okay, this movie should not be seen. Mm. I think I might rein it in a little yeah. bit. I, I'm not sure how I feel about protesting films or boycotting films or not seeing them and then, like, speaking out against them. Um, I don't know about that. But what I've learned about myself mm-hmm. is that um, I'm a little ableist. <laughs> and there's, there's an article that I read that um, I got a lot of information from um, by Esther Ingham. Um, it's an analysis of Me Before You um, from, like, a disability, like, critical theory sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. And basically it says, like, if people with disabilities disagree with what able-bodied people want to hear and the, able, the able-bodied person in this case wants to hear, oh, it's just a story about one guy who mm-hmm. bloody topped himself, then the able-bodied people just disregard. That's and, absolutely true. And yeah. that's, to- that's 100% what I initially, that was my sort of gut instinct. Yeah. This, is, this is the major problem with the film. This is a major problem with society, which we live in. <laughs> Thank you. Finally, someone has the guts to say it. No one is fucking listening to the people that all these movies depict. Yeah. Their voices are not heard. Mm. And it's the same with mental, mental illness. It's the same with so many things. People of colour, uh, trans, queer people, all of that. No one is actually listening to the people and they're making decisions and making movies and making art about them. Mm. but not with them. Yeah. And this movie does that in spades. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I will say, though, like some of the articles that you sent to me, um, there was one by a lady with muscular dystrophy mm-hmm. who said that when her disability reaches a certain threshold, she will go ahead with mm-hmm. voluntary-assisted dying. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that, like, the, disabil- the, the, the community of people with disabilities is... Um, like a homogenous group and they all feel this way, which is something that I kind of like, you know, these small organisations representing a massive population, Mm. that seems like it could be problematic to me. But if that's literally what they're there for as an advocacy group. Yeah. But then I think about Sia and music and like she got a lot of advice from an autism advocacy group which is the group was itself controversial. Autism so, speaks. Yeah, yeah they, she they, did. they advocate she spoke for to a them. cure for autism or something. Yeah, they have real problematic views on autism. So, like, this whole advocacy group thing is potentially problematic. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. And I think you have a point there with the voluntary assisted dying. It's not, I think, what I'm saying and what, what 
smart people are saying is it's not saying because it happens in this movie we're not saying that it shouldn't happen ever uh there are reasons why we have problems with it happening in this movie um and the message that it's sending voluntary sister dying is a very controversy laden topic but i believe there's a place for it and there just needs to be some nuance when we talk about it i think yeah which i think the advocacy groups and the able-bodied response and the protests and all that shit. Everybody's just like doubling down on their view mm. and there's no zero nuance. It becomes nuance. really extreme. Yeah. yeah. The views yeah. become really one way or the other and you're, you're either with them or against them. You can't be on the fence. Yeah. Mm. Boy, do and we you... live in a society. <laughs> but this is good that, that you've learned some things about yourself. Yeah, it's been a good Amazing. experience. I'd, I'd encourage everybody to... to um, Look at our reading list because yes. it's it's um, worthwhile. Also, just read. Just read. Just Dan. read. Just read. Or woman. I think a big part of the backlash is also that physical disability and disability as a whole is still there's so much stigma around it, and the social view is really only just becoming more inclusive than um, what was the we just want to get rid of it view. Mm. Um, so when a movie like this comes out, it really perpetuates those attitudes towards disability uh, and it's not doing much good for the disability community. No, I definitely agree with you there. I'll just say I like in your notes here that you've written there's more economic value in making inspiration porn than something more realistic. That is so true. And I guess this wasn't so much inspiration porn. Well, no, it is. It is, but it's not for the person with a disability. It's for the person oh, without a disability. That's what I mean by inspiration porn. Like, the person with the disability is only there to inspire the person without. Ah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. No, when I think of inspiration th- porn, I think, oh, she's doing it and she's got a disability. Good for her. <laughs> that point obviously came from an article that was very much a backlash article, like, mm the film's bad. Um, but that's a thought that I had prior to this journey, (laughs) this journey that I've been on where I was like, well, it's effect. It's a, it's a Hollywood film, but it's a mainstream film. It's a romantic film. Yeah. And they're not going to make any money out of a film that presents disability in a, with in a clear eyed, honest, realistic way No, because able-bodied people don't want to see that. It makes them uncomfortable. No, there's, exactly. And, and, and there's a lot of talk in the literature about disgust mm-hmm. um, and how, I mean, it, it goes really deep, but, like, they're talking about how current, like, neoliberal societies um, are kind of based on this disgust of, like, an other, like, mm-hmm. the gross middle class or people with disabilities because they're perceived as a burden, effectively. It's what society's built on. Yeah, so... Uh, a, f- a film like this kind of only validates and 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 propagates that sort of yeah. thinking because it was it was made for able people, not disabled people. Yeah, and he didn't need to have a disability; it could have been anything. That's a very formulaic yeah, movie. Like he could have ha- been driving a bus that had to go at a certain speed, or else <laughs> the bomb would explode. Like you know. <laughs> but in the end, everyone lives in that movie. <laughs> Let's, let's do our categories. Let's do our categories. So I actually didn't look into this, but you did. 
I did. did a lot of work in this one. I like it. <laughs> Taking some notes from Maz. So, but it, like, I just assumed <laughs> maybe correctly that no one had any lived experience in this movie. Mm, yeah, no, that was not unreasonable. So the original book by Jojo, um, apparently she came across a story somewhere about like a 23-year-old rugby player who had a spinal cord injury and went to the same um, euthanasia clinic and died. Um, And I'm not sure if this is some self-aggrandizing thing she was saying, but she was just so baffled that anybody would do that. Um, And she, she just wanted to understand why he made that decision. Could she have done that without writing? (laughs) (laughs) Potentially. Yes. Um, Yeah. So apparently that, that was sort of the thing that sparked the book. I mean, at least it comes from a true story and it's not just like a thought experiment. Like, But I'd love to know, like, did she actually talk to anybody in his life to, to find that out? Yeah, like, well, she actually, I actually read a quote from her. Apparently she used to be a journalist and um, when she read this story, she went on like a journalist style research. Yeah, deep mm. dive um, and did a lot of reading about it. She didn't say anything about talking to anybody about it. She just read just about read. it. Okay. And, like, fine, but things like this where there's so much stigma involved and it's something that's so controversial, you can't just re- – I feel like you can't just read data and articles because it's just so under-researched. Mm-hmm. You, you do actually need to talk to people who are living it to get a bit more of your head around it. Yeah, do, do you think I that? think you're right. I think that probably the trap that she fell into was like, I found this story about one person who did this. Now I'm going to write a book about it that's going to be adapted into a film and it's just about one person who did this. Mm. When in actual fact, you, you, you can't divorce that story from the context it happened in yeah. and you, you, you can't... Um, avoid the comment that it's making no, about no. people you, with disabilities at large. You have to keep in mind the, the context and the, the platform that you have when you make something like this. Yeah. Yeah, what about the film? Was there any disabled peoples in the film? What do you, what do you reckon? I reckon no, hey. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're very right. <laughs> yeah, so there were, there were no people with disabilities involved in the making of the film. And I think that's actually really fucking woeful. Like, yeah. so many people are involved in the making of a film. Could one person have been just an onset, like, even someone who's worked with people with disabilities? Yeah. So I will just put out one caveat that the statement that there were no people with disabilities involved in the making of the film came from an article that was very strongly against the film. And I don't know what research they did into mm, that. Fair and I didn't do any research into that. So it's possible that there were people involved with disabilities. But the point, you, you can't deny that that means that the film was made from the perspective of an able-bodied person. No, exactly. Yeah. And therefore, Will's life, this is almost a direct quote from this article. I think it's the Ingham article. Um, his life is one of unimaginable suffering. He's constantly dependent on others and he has no value and no hope. Um, and so instead of being at all helpful or, you know, just realistic when it comes to its depiction of disability, it just becomes um, an exposition on the beliefs that able-bodied people have about disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it deserves all the backlash it gets. Yeah, I agree. 
I have to just just keep in mind I'm using like people with disability and disabled people interchangeably those two terms because everyone is different in how they like to be addressed so um, both of those terms are, are deemed appropriate depending on who you talk to so I'm sort of using both of them <laughs> we should probably make the side note that we are able-bodied people yes we and should. we're very much running the risk of able splaining this yes. film <laughs> So I read that Will was not played by... This was, like, the the justification that get, they gave. I don't know if it was the filmmakers or people who like the film gave. It's like, Will could not have been played by someone with a disability because you have to see the footage of him when he is able-bodied. <laughs> That's fucking stupid. Yeah. That's so fucking stupid. <laughs> like, I, I just agree. finished watching The Mandalorian and they fucking shopped, like... 30-year-old Mark Hamill's body onto some extra's head like, <laughs> to make him a young man again. You, you, you can They've do They've been doing anything. that for a while. We've all seen Benjamin Button. <laughs> yeah, all that shit. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't give that view <laughs> No, that's salt. ridiculous. Um, and uh, it's a thing that um, filmmakers do a lot is just hide behind these issues of logistics where it's like we couldn't, we couldn't get the chair on the set. Like yeah. that's a, Fuck. that's a joke example, oh, but yeah, 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 it's um it's not true. Basically, again, Ingham, read that article. It's a great I article. Will. I will <laughs> just just for background. They call able-bodied actors playing roles of people with disabilities like cripping up. Or yeah, 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 cripping right. up. It's is like the blackface, but cripping up. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, basically doing that ensures that sort of the able-bodied people control the depiction yes, of people with disabilities. The yeah. So then it's never uncomfortable mm. for the able-bodied viewer um, and it'll never upset, this is a, a quote again from Ingham, it'll never upset the balance between pity and inspiration mm. where they want inspiration obviously yeah, and they don't, they don't want, want you to pity. feel pity. Mm-hmm. And, and these movies walk that fine line, I guess. It's so... It's so interesting that that's what it tries to create on screen. But by doing that, there's that message that, oh, no, someone with a disability could not have played this role because we pitied them too much. Mm. Like, you know, they couldn't have had that opportunity. Like, if they really wanted to inspire people, which is dumb anyway, they could could have someone who actually is in a wheelchair playing someone with with, with a wheelchair. Um, yeah, and I mean, I used to kind of think that the logistical stuff was was reasonable, like, and I used to f- sort of frame it in my head, like, well, you know, only one percent of the world is an actor, and only a tiny minority of them would be quadriplegic. It, but it doesn't work. That's what I, that's what I used to think. <laughs> if you're going to make a movie like this, you should invest the effort in doing it properly. And there's a message that it's too hard. Mm. But is it? Like, is it really that hard? Mm. There's lots of act. Like, you'll find one yeah. if, if you want to. They're out there. And is it too hard to, to be accessible on set? Well, no, it shouldn't be. Sorry. Mm. So let's talk about how accurate this film is. Um, and as we talk about this, I want to let you listeners know that that Michael's day job at the moment 
or has been for a long time. Oh, I, I work for a, a surgeon who assesses people for, with personal injury claims, such as Will Trainer's motorbike accident. Yeah. So throughout our notes, there's lots of, Medi- there's lots of acronyms I don't understand. <laughs> so quadriplegia, is that actually, is that what you say now, quadriplegia, or is it more a spinal cord injury? Oh, I'm not actually sure if there's a preferred term, but mm. I haven't come across anything to say that it's not. Listeners, let us know. Um, I did, like, I looked at some YouTube stuff um, and I saw some people who were quadriplegic referring to themselves as quads. Mm-hmm. And that was also in some of the, like, qualitative, like, interview-based research that I came across. They called mm-hmm. themselves quads. So I assume that means that quadriplegia is an okay term, mm-hmm. but I'm not 100% confident in that. How accurate do you think the depiction was of Will's spinal cord injury? I'll just say. Yeah, look, with with the the massive caveat that I don't have all that much experience in rehab medicine, but I think it was pretty accurate. Like, you know, obviously in Will's case, he only had movement of his sort of neck, head and one or both hands or something. Mm -hmm. I think the one, yeah. And, you know, that was pretty clearly depicted and that's definitely a thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So that seems accurate. Um, I thought it did a good job of going into some of the things that not everybody knows about mm-hmm. when it comes to spinal cord injuries. So like he's got autonomic dysreflexia, which is basically like the things in your spinal cord that control what's happening to your organs and stuff that you can't control yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so like your blood pressure, your temperature, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that gets all out of whack because the the nerves are damaged and the I think is it the nurse that says he doesn't sweat like we do yeah yeah, yeah. so like he can overheat and stuff and, and kind of not be aware that it's happening and and talking about all the medications that that somebody would need to be on I don't know when I started studying I guess I had this weird notion that like if you have a spinal cord injury they chuck you in a wheelchair and that's it Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. So like he needs to be on a lot of medications for his blood pressure. Those types of injuries can cause some muscles to basically like permanently tense. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be on medications for that. Mm-hmm. There's some surgeries that they can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, pain medication. Um, and apparently Will needed to avoid sleeping pills cause they made him irritable. Was it that or because they thought he would somehow yeah. take more than <laughs> I guess, yeah. And, yeah, we made the note here that she was hired to be his companion, but obviously she, she, she wasn't, like, medically trained or she had no health no. literacy, basically. Absolutely none. <laughs> Let and, alone any training. And she was administering medication at times, wasn't she? I thought she was. I yeah. think she was giving him pain meds every mm. now and then. Mm, yeah, 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 she was. Um, and... Um, she could she, not get away with that. No, and she couldn't recognise the signs that he was deteriorating. Yeah. Like, I think his nurse went away on a holiday or something and he picked up pneumonia and she, she couldn't, She's, she didn't recognise it. I do wonder, you know, given how rich he is, if someone that, that rich um, had that kind of injury, I, I feel like there would be more adaptations that could be made. Like, he's just... 
he needs someone to transfer him everywhere. He's only in the wheelchair. Um, he doesn't have other, like, wheelchairs for different purposes. And we've got a long way to go with accommodations for disabilities, but I feel like there's more out there. Like, there, there would be hoists and, you know, things that you didn't really see in the movie that would probably help him get around a bit more independently. This is this is what I was YouTubing, trying to find, like, how um, um, people with quadriplegia do transfer. Um, and all the videos I found, the, the, the people had some control of their arms. Okay. Um, so in his case, not having any power except in his hands. I don't think that there was anything, I, 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 to my knowledge, I don't think there's anything that he could do independently to, say, get from bed into his chair. But, it, um, like, I know, you know, maybe I, this is going a bit into my ignorance, but I just wonder if they could have got creative since he had, like, so much money. <laughs> anyway. I think, you're, I think you're probably right that there are... There was probably more tech that he could have used. Yeah. Given yeah how rich he was. But maybe he was refusing it. Well, like speaking of talking about his space, um, a lot of the stuff I read was talking about how he's, you know, he lives in this mansion castle thing, mm. and he's still kind of relegated to this little like yeah granny flat kind of wing yeah thing, and it's kind of and he's generally very isolated yeah. Um, but I wonder if again that was him. He he imposed that because he's look he's depressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he doesn't want any reminders of what his life was like or something like that. Mm. I also wonder how accurate it is. Any time he has fun, it's like oh he could get pneumonia. Like he goes out, stays overnight, and he immediately gets pneumonia. Like is that super accurate? I'm not sure. I think that. He would be vulnerable because he might have problems like clearing. Because well, I think the nurse refer or the the Australian guy refers to him having a lot of chest physio, mm. so like he'd need help clearing phlegm and stuff out of his lungs. Mm. Um, I think so. Like yeah, he'd be prone to infections. That seems reasonable to me, but I think it's probably like inaccurate to suggest that any time he does something enjoyable, he's going to get sick. Yeah. That, that was just the message to me, I thought. I think from a, you know, disability advocacy point of view, it probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like, Aww. he probably should have been able to have a good time without any consequences. But it's a movie and it's trying to make us sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's trying to make it look like the worst thing to ever happen to a person. And I guess it, they're trying to get you to empathise with why he wants to end his life. Yeah. 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 We were kind of bringing up Amelia Clark's lack of experience in her job mm. like that whole from the beginning of her job interview to the end like she should not have got <laughs> she should not be employed in that role and and when as we were watching it I was writing a lot of notes about this but then when you know you find out that he's planning on dying it becomes sort of clear that mum has hired her because she just she's, wants someone to watch him well, no, she's she's chatty and mm. um, effervescent, um, <laughs> and she probably wants them to fall in love. Yeah, I think essentially, I, I, she's trying to give him like something to live for. Mm. Um, so I guess in the context of the film, it doesn't matter that she doesn't know what she's doing. 
in real life, though, I think it would be like criminally negligent to 100%. do that. Like, Especially since she gets left in charge when there's no actual healthcare provider available. Um, and she and has also, no training. She's also, has literally no if training. If you're worried, go to hospital. Like, that's what she should have done. Yeah. The second she was worried, she should have called an ambulance. Yeah. Fine. Employ someone just to be fun. <laughs> but give her a little bit of training in what to do. Like, not necessarily to to administer anything, but what to do when this happens. Yeah. You call triple O. Yeah. Um, what do they dial in the UK? I don't know. All right. I want to talk about my favourite Michael loves to talk about euthanasia. Of all time. Okay, My literal me. note was euthanasia for disability, oh my goodness. <laughs> so this is a huge can of worms opening up. Yes. Um, as we said, very controversial subject. Lots of different views. Again, we are both abled people talking about it. So keep that in mind. Michael, what is your view? We should probably do like a brief overview of the ethics of euthanasia. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit like climate change where the, the, the overwhelming view is that it's ethically acceptable. But then there's a few voices out there who just say, no, it's not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the people who say that it's acceptable um, kind of rest their arguments on this idea that um, it's okay if the person is making like an autonomous request to die, as in they're not being coerced into doing it and they're competent, like Mm -hmm. they can make a decision for themselves and, you know, weigh the consequences and weigh all the relevant information. Mm -hmm. So one, autonomy. Two, it's usually paired with a requirement for suffering. Mm -hmm. So you can't just be like, I want to die. Okay, you can die. Right? Like, mm-hmm. that's pure autonomy and that's not accepted by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't just be suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, a doctor can't be like, that person's suffering. I better go kill them. Um, so basically, uh, sort of the, the, the usual view is that, yeah, you make an autonomous request and you're suffering. Euthanasia is ethically permissible for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who aren't on board with euthanasia make the claim that like it's the sanctity of life Mm -hmm. um life is valuable in and of itself Mm -hmm. society is like almost at its core premised on the fact that we're not allowed to kill each other Mm -hmm. therefore any kind of killing is 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 wrong you can't you just can't do it and i think that sort of falls down when you if you ever see somebody, um, you know, towards the end of being palliated or something, like in the last stages of life um, and the suffering that that can sometimes entail, yeah, I think that view kind of falls down there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, those are the views. Um, and uh, so euthanasia is allowed in a few jurisdictions around the world. Um, there's quite conservative euthanasia laws in Australia um, and I think in the UK and North America Mm -hmm. Um, and then much more permissive sort of regimes in Europe. Um, So hence he goes to Switzerland because I think it's in Switzerland or maybe the Netherlands. It's essentially like a pure autonomy system where Mm -hmm. it's like you want to die, 
you go ahead, like you can die. Mm-hmm. Um, so they allow people to access voluntary assisted dying if they're, quote, direct quote, tired of life. Um, and that some of the concerns with these systems is like the people question the safeguards against like coercion. Mm-hmm. So like if like anybody can access voluntary assisted dying, what's going to stop their family from being like, look, you're a burden. We can't afford your medication. We can't afford to modify our house. Or, you know, like people saying you're a burden on society because the state has to pay for your medical treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a risk that uh, people will get coerced into to mm-hmm. doing that. that. That's like the overview um, of like all euthanasia. But when it comes to disabilities specifically, the overwhelming view among the public and according, there's an article called Assisted Dying and Disability by Christopher Riddle in Bioethics, which says that, like, disability rights scholars, activists and people with disabilities overwhelmingly oppose voluntary assisted dying for mm-hmm. disability. Um, and why, why is that, Michael? Well, so Not Dead Yet, mm. which is an advocacy, quite a vocal um, advocacy group for they disability. Spoke, they spoke about this movie. Yeah, sure, they, yeah, they in a big way. Um, a quote from them is that um, voluntary assisted dying for disability is the ultimate expression of society's fear and revulsion regarding disability. So a lot of these advocacy groups feel that the risk of coercion is too much mm. to mm. allow any kind of voluntary assisted dying for people with disabilities. I, I was just thinking that when you were talking about the coercion because so often someone with a disability can't advocate for themselves. More often than not, they struggle with that. So mm. it would be so easy for it to be coercion. Yeah. So there's a comment that I came across somewhere that was was basically one of these advocacy groups saying there is no euthanasia for someone with disability that isn't coerced. Are they saying that the compulsion for voluntary assisted dying comes from society's non-acceptance of, of disability that sort of permeates and always has permeated the world we live in? And if that wasn't there, then maybe it wouldn't even be a thing? Yeah, well, I get it. it's sort of a reaction to this pervasive view that, and this is a quote again, that people with disabilities are a suffering entity, um, an object of charity, or living a life not worth living. Yeah. Um, and as long as as people are viewed, people with disabilities are viewed in that way, then then yeah, it's you know society's coercion, and I, I suspect that they're that's that these groups might be suggesting that there's a degree of like internalized ableism, mm-hmm. maybe. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's it's like feminism, those patriarchal views are bad for the patriarchy as well as for females. So if you've got a disability, you too are still affected by ableism and how you see yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) So that's what these groups say. Um, However, Christopher Riddle is an ethicist and ethicists really like going against what the (laughs) overwhelming opinion is. And... um, So basically his argument is just that if we do respect and value people with disabilities, particularly their autonomy and their 
capacity for making decisions, then we should allow them to choose to die. Yeah. Um, and I, I see that point as well. Yeah. And like, yes, there, there are risks and there are vulnerabilities to be considered, um, but they, they're the same risks and vulnerabilities that anybody has in this decision-making process, you know, like, mm. and they shouldn't be given special weight or they shouldn't be significant enough to say no euthanasia for people with disabilities. Mm. Um, and to, to do that ban is just to be super paternalistic, disrespectful. Um, I guess it depends and, on and who is banning. Again, like if there was more representation of people with disabilities in the areas that are making decisions for people with disabilities, then the decision could be made more respectfully. Yeah. What do you think about all that? I, I can sort of see both sides in that, um, like I feel from my position very yucky about voluntary assisted dying for people with disabilities and um, the advocacy groups express that well, like why I feel icky about it. But also at the same time, it's that autonomy and that, that ability to, to advocate for what you want um, and and to live your life the way you want to. It's, it's, it's your life and you can make that decision for yourself. I think at the end of the day, society needs to change before these decisions can be made. And that's going <laughs> to take a while to be more inclusive um, and for people who are in the groups that we're making decisions about to be the people making the decisions. But if you're going to respect the individual with a disability who wants to die... It's not compassionate or kind to say, sorry, you just have to wait until society's better. No, I'm not saying so, that. Yeah, either. so like it's um It's just it's a toughie. It's a toughie. But um what what we should talk about is how this all relates to the film. Yes. <laughs> um so like from what I've read, you know, I'm kind of on board with the idea that voluntary assisted dying should be allowed for people with disabilities. Um if they make a non-coerced decision that that's what they want. Mm -hmm. I imagine, you know, you add caveats like, you know, maybe they need to have seen a psychologist for X number of sessions or something like that. Anyway, That should always be a caveat, but anyway. But that, that's, we're getting into the weeds a bit there. Yeah. Um, but we're kind of sold this narrative in me before you that um, it's all about his autonomy. His, his, his Aussie mate is like... Um, I want him to live, but only if he wants to live. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like a, a pure autonomy view. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's kind of echoed by his dad when he says, if this is what he really wants. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and like other people in um, Lou, Amelia Clark's life are saying that too. Like um, his sister's like, just make the most of those last moments. Like that's what he's wanting to do. Just as an aside, her mum says that it would be no better than murder, which mm. is kind of that sanctity of life yeah, for argument. Um, and I note that they are religious types. They say grace. True. So, uh, you know. So maybe it's a slightly accurate depiction of everyone's attitudes. I, I thought that that was towards... kind of, yeah, a good way of handling it. They had mm. different characters voicing their different opinions, but, like, overwhelmingly, on a purely numbers basis, they're all pro yeah. Autonomy. I mean, they don't want it to happen, but they, they are accepting of this decision. Yeah. And um, so a really good point that Ingham raises 
is that everybody bangs on about autonomy when he's making this decision. Um, but firstly, um, they're not really interested in his autonomy when it comes to literally anything else in the film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, we're going to the horse racing now, Will. Off we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, here's Amelia Clark. She's your companion yes. now. Bye. <laughs> um, so, like, the film basically doesn't give a fuck about his autonomy. No. Um, except in this one thing which, like, resolves our discomfort with his yeah, having a disability. Like, yeah. we're like, oh, he's, he's going to die. That makes me feel better as an able-bodied person. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and um, the other thing that I thought was super interesting was that when, like, an able-bodied person says, I'm going to kill myself mm -hmm. in a movie, everyone's like, no, no, you have, to, you have to live. This is your – have a psychologist, have a whatever. Have all these resources. But yeah. when it's a person with a disability, it's like respect their autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's what bug. That's what bugs me. To me, he is not. I don't know if we should talk about this now, but to me, he doesn't want to end his life because his life is hor horrible and unbearable, and he's in pain twenty four seven, and he's um, got nothing going on that could be good for him. For other people in the same circumstances, they might have a fantastic life. Um, he's got money. He has connections. He he could go to Paris tomorrow if he wanted to. He's got someone in his life who loves him. He's got a family that are together that care about him. He's got people who care about him. That is more than a lot of people can say, especially in a world who have disabilities because the world do not provide for people with disabilities very well. He's just lucky enough that he's rich. So he's ending his life even though he could have quite a wonderful life. It's just not the life that he had before because he was a bit of an action man back in the day. So to me, it's a mental thing for me. Like you think he's got depression? I think he's I think he's depressed and you know there's there's little hints of it in the fact mm. he wakes up screaming um and it's because he has a dream that he's running or, or flying or whatever so it's like a PTSD type symptom mm. but sort of the opposite because he can't do that anymore you know he shuts people out as you've heard and he's he's not come to terms with his disability I don't think it was – it was two years ago that it happened. So it's a relatively short period of time between the accident and the film, where we are in the film. So it could be quite a journey for him to of acceptance because it's a journey for everyone of acceptance of disability. And it's like he's just refusing to go on that journey. He just wants to end his life. It's not. There's not a point in his deterioration where he's decided that he will end his life. He just, he just wants to end it because yeah. it's not the life that he – wants to choose yeah so i don't know where that sits it is autonomy but it's like it's it's kind of where mental illness comes into it a little bit as well i think with someone who's really depressed and wants to end their life not knowing that it could get better yeah but that's another can of worms i don't know if it's we want to open it's a huge can of worms <laughs> i mean I, I mean the fact is that you know this is based on a a true news article snippet that <laughs> that Jojo read but I think it's a bit paternalistic to to say I think that kind of invalidates his suffering but on the other hand the suffering is like 
the able-bodied filmmakers idea view of suffering yeah Yeah. what is like how do you measure suffering Mm. as well which is another kind yeah, of words. Well, no, and but that's, a, that's 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 one hundred percent subjective, and you just have to trust when the patient says, "I'm suffering." Yeah. And a doctor can have a little bit of input and be like, "Well, they've got this condition. Yeah, they're probably suffering." Yeah, yeah, for like sure. You, you, like when I have the flu, I'm suffering, but a doctor wouldn't be acting reasonably if they agreed to my request for euthanasia. Yeah, like when I'm in the middle of a flu. Yeah. I think that's what people who dislike the message in the film, I think that's what we have problems with. Who's to say he can't have a great life? Um, It's very interesting and, um, yeah, you know, read the literature on euthanasia and um, euthanasia for people with disabilities and um, get back to us. Going back to accuracy of other things in the movie... Is there anything else we want to talk about? I guess we could talk about some of the social aspects of mm. his life. Um, yeah, the social uh, nuances about like how other people treat him, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Like when his friends visit and they're so uncomfortable around him. Just like even their positioning, like they're standing while he's sitting, like that power dynamic where they're above him. Like, I mean... He seemed like a jerk, to be honest, so I probably wouldn't care in that <laughs> context, but beyond the person's level is of, you know, they just don't get those kind of things that would make you feel really uncomfortable. And also, like, where the way he's seated in a lot of the scenes in the movie is, is pretty much a reality for people with a disability. Like, it's just, you know, he's always seated in a really awkward way. He's never on the same level as everybody else, and... It seems like a little thing for abled people, but for disabled people, like standing out is a real, um, a real issue in society. I kind of, I don't know if it meant to do those things, but I did notice that. Mm. I thought that was pretty accurate. But talking about those sort of logistical things, like he, he has a bit of a rant about, um, you know, not being able to fit behind a table at a coffee shop and, yeah. and not being able to find an adapter for his wheelchair and taxi drivers not picking him up and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So I, I think it presents some of those logistical issues. Things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he could have his own fucking driver. He's so rich. So I don't really get that. But those issues would still be issues. There's st- absolutely still issues, but in the context of this movie, <laughs> I don't I, I, feel sorry for Will Trainer. <laughs> yeah, I think what the movie is shooting for is some sort of like an accurate depiction of of disability, talking about the things that you wouldn't normally think about. Yeah, that's that's true. Which maybe that's to its credit. And you know, since we're talking about these like awkward social things, um, and, and and talking about these sort of real life things that that might happen to people with quadriplegia. Things like um, Lou's boyfriend, Patrick. Mm. Or, like, no, her dad goes to shake his hand when mm. they meet. And um, then forgets. Yeah. yeah, like faux pas like that. And, um, yeah, Patrick is like, oh, maybe if we get you on a running program, yeah. we'll fix you we'll up. fix you up. Something like that. Like that just um, lack of understanding. Yeah, yeah, so it kind of pre- presents a bit of a societal lack of awareness yeah you know that's like yeah that's pretty accurate it's i find it hard to say whether it's accurate or not but it seems like it's oh yeah it's a a dash i think of what people experience every day yeah one thing i thought was inaccurate before we move on is um so lou's supposed to be poor 
and her wardrobe is very lush. Those <laughs> shoes, phenomenal, would have cost her a mint. Unless she is just a really good thrifter. But anyway. We, I mean, we were talking about euthanasia like 30 seconds ago. So what are some of those stereotypes that were problematic in this movie? I will start. Yeah, let's let's talk about Lou. And let's talk we'll about get, Lou. We'll go to the... To the big boys. <laughs> yeah. She's so much that cutesy, manic pixie dream girl. Uh, you've and written she's here. like totally disinhibited. <laughs> you've written here. No one is like this, especially not with a quadriplegic client. <laughs> I mean, is that fair? <laughs> yeah. Maybe if she had like ADHD or something. Yeah, actually. Maybe she meets the criteria for ADHD. <laughs> what are the criteria it? for ADHD? Shall we go through it? <laughs> no. Um, she starts off with, like, no substance. Um, like, yeah, we like, do see a little bit of her backstory of her family and stuff. But, like, she's just like, I spend time with my family. I go to the pub. I watch TV. I, I watch my boyfriend run. <laughs> yeah, like, those are the li- literally her pastimes when he yeah. asks her about them. And, and it's true. Like, that's... Yeah, She's that's no what substance. she says. And yeah. then it's like, he does find out a bit more about her and, you know, her hopes and dreams, I guess. But like... She's two-dimensional. That's the word. Yeah. Okay. She's very two-dimensional. Um, and she has that stereotype, stereotypical boyfriend who doesn't give a shit about her, just does his own thing. And she just follows him along like, why are they even together? Um, we were kind of, we were talking about the manic pixie dream girl and you were talking about how that trope kind of just exists for the man yeah true. can you explain that yeah usually the manic pixie dream girl is the cute quirky girl that that sort of inspires the man to do this or that and is really just there like the muse the muse yeah uh-huh. that doesn't have any real plot or agency or or yeah she's just like a a device for for the man to to do stuff or to to improve in himself or whatever. But what is awkward about this movie is she's she's kind of that trope, but then he's the the person with the disability who's also just there to to enhance the abled person's life. Yeah, like so, he becomes her manic pixie dream man disability man. <laughs> so it's weird. It's like two tropes mesh together yeah it's like watching it's such a train wreck <laughs> two tropes like fight and see which one wins in the end and it's the disability one like people with disabilities are just there to make able-bodied people yeah. feel better one with that that's the one that wins but out somehow in the end. she still doesn't have much substance by the yeah. end of the movie mm. the another trope with lou that 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 is like pervasive mm. needs to stop is like the super attractive mm. actors being cast in roles where all the other characters are talking about how they're ugly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we have eyes. Yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense. It's like film ugly. Like, uh, um, I have strong, strong feelings for Amelia Clark. I have strong feelings for her eyebrows. <laughs> She's not very good at acting. Hey, look, she managed to, to birth. Some dragons. All right. Um, another movie, uh, another TV show we might do one day is Normal People and Marianne in Normal People. She's supposed to be so ugly and she's so attractive. Mm. It's another 
Just, oh my God. What are these standards? <laughs> um, I guess there's some stereotypes with just Will himself. Really? Yeah. We're just talking about <laughs> Will and then we'll get to like disability as a whole. Yeah, like, yeah, fair that's, fair. That's, that's where we're heading. But yeah, I guess there's a bit of a trope of um, the the cynical, jaded person with a disability mm. and he has like a bit of a joke about um, like my left foot and yeah. like being Stephen Hawking and stuff. The stereotype of like I make people uncomfortable with my disability so I'm just going to make them really uncomfortable all the time. Like yeah. that's, that's my only strength so I'll just, just do that. Or like he's just so broken by the world, like he's he's become super pessimistic and mm. only sees the the bad because glass half empty. Because if you've got a disability, you've got to be miserable, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. But also, he is miserable. Yeah, which is why it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about the general disability stereotypes? When is, will we stop? Is the question. <laughs> So yeah, there's a big stereotype that if you ha- if you get a disability, you lose your friends, you 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 lose family, you lose your relationship, your partners, um, and even like Neville Longbottom says, Lou's boyfriend was like, oh, would you stick around with me if I was paralyzed? Like he thinks that's fine and normal. Like, yeah, that's what you would do. Do we need to explain why that's a problem? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny how the movie like overall kind of plays into these ableist stereotypes and views Mm. but on the other hand it kind of tries to point them out to the audience like that's really bad Mm. like his friends are really awkward around him and Neville Longbottom thinks that it's reasonable that you'd leave your partner if they got a disability but they don't really do anything about uh Yeah, yeah like it just doesn't have a really stable approach to the experience of having a disability yeah it doesn't see it through really well yeah like basically it's saying look at these people looking at will and and looking at him like his life isn't worth living but he should die but it isn't worth (laughs) living it's good that he died (laughs) we can all be happy that he's dead now so yeah it's yeah it's a bit of a jumbled message um it's also like there's a stereotype that people with physical disabilities can't do anything like they can't scuba dive they can't sit in a restaurant in paris or they can't do Mm. all these things that he used to do he kind of sits and watches while she scuba dives when they're on holiday i'm pretty sure there are accommodations that can be made like he could co-scuba dive with somebody else and like in like those you know swim with the sharks yeah in the like a cage or something i think i we're just speculating no i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure okay um I'm sure there's so many people out there with the same disability that he has has done a lot of things that mm. he's refusing to do. Mm. Um, and, like, he has the means to do them because he's yeah. rich. This all kind of feeds into, like, this stereotype that I also noticed that if you have a disability, you automatically become prideful. Maybe he did have access to some way of scuba diving, but mm. maybe he just didn't want to do it because he didn't want to go through the adaptation yeah like he wanted to do it the way he would have if he was able-bodied and he refused to to do anything elsewise you know Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's necessarily true or not oh i guess everyone it's different and you know we don't have disabilities Mm. like these so i we can't really say everyone's 
feels differently I'm sure just yeah you're right like it is that stereotype that you automatically feel a certain way about it Mm. um and he's obviously not in he's not really accepting of his his lot in life so Mm. um everyone's probably on different journeys of acceptance as well and that could include not wanting to have to have another person there to engage in an experience initially until the need to engage in the experience outweighs the need to be seen not not stand out i guess or be treated differently Mm. Uh, but maybe that never happens Mm. you have some notes here on the wisdom of the disabled like he's there's a stereotype of him guiding the young quirky girl to have a better life there's an article I read by Carrie Sandal um, who ca- coined this term cripping a movie, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a way of viewing movies with disabilities that kind of undermines all the ableist, you know, um, prejudices and tropes and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, she wrote an article called, well, actually she made a documentary I'm not sure if it's out yet, but this she wrote an article about the making of this documentary, which is called Code of the Freaks. Mm-hmm. The article is called It's All the Same Movie. When she says it's all the same movie, she's saying every single movie with a character with a disability in it, they're all the same. And the only thing that they're trying to say is that people with disabilities only exist to make able-bodied people learn lessons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She cites um, The Miracle Worker, To Kill a Mockingbird, mm, A Christmas Carol. And, I mean, that's, like, totally correct in that's this case. That is 100%. 100% Will's role in this movie is to get this, like, small-town working-class girl to, you know, follow her dreams or some yeah. shit. Which live is, like, a boldly, dumb... Yes. I don't want to live. Yeah. It's, it's dumb shit. And it sort of starts out... Maybe this is why people watched this movie. <laughs> it starts out look, looking like she's going to make an impact on him and change him to learn how to live his new life. But it, nah, it's still the disabled person. <laughs> like I said, with the two tropes, like competing against each other. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you, if, you pit, if you pit two tropes against one <laughs> another, the, the most, the one that like, capitalizes on the most marginalized group yes, is going to win. Gonna win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I want I wanted to talk about cripping a movie cuz I found that really interesting. Um and in this documentary um the code of the freaks which I'd really like to watch yeah. if it's out um but apparently they um they make these montages of disability tropes in movies mm-hmm. where they just like they do like a supercut of oh, like them just being repeated, that. and um, she actually writes a list of tropes, which I find hilarious, <laughs> um, but it's also really upsetting. Um, please, but I'm please just going to give out. you the list. Please read it out. <laughs> um, little people as magical creatures. Mm. We, we we watched Willow the other night, oh <laughs> which my God. is is basically like that trope in a feature length film. Also like the wizard of Oz, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Sadly. non-disabled ladies tending to paralyzed men. Mm. <laughs> this movie. That's the movie we're talking about. <laughs> blind men comically driving cars. Oh my God. Um, blind women in bathtubs stalked by serial killers. It- blind people feeling sighted people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> um, the film clip for hello by Lionel Richie. <laughs> 
um, disfigured villains plotting to destroy those responsible for their disablement. Oh, yeah. Mercy killings. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this. Yeah. Um, and d- disabled characters receiving standing ovations. Oh. <laughs> That's an amazing one. Um, oh but, yeah, God. like when it's sort of presented like that, it, um, it just makes you feel a bit shit to be able-bodied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really fucked up, isn't it, when you think about it? And, like, a million movies come to mind. Um, and, anyway, yeah, cripping a movie. Like, it's a, it's a way of watching a movie in a way that... Uh, you know, you scrutinise what you're being presented and you don't just fall prey to the kind of mainstream um, worldview that you get presented in a movie like this. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of cripping to be done in this film. That whole thing about the person with a disability teaching someone who's able-bodied a better life or a, being a better person, that, that happens in real life. Like, mm-hmm. it is art reflecting life and vice versa. There's still that inspiration porn everywhere, people that go out just to help people so they feel better about themselves. There are so many, be- like, what do, what do you call it? Fake altruism or whatever. Right, yeah. You know. It makes me think of, we have a bit of a joke where pe- when people are talking about people with Down syndrome and they're just like, oh, they're just beautiful. I know. Like, they teach, they teach us more than the... Than we teach them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... Um, it's it's sick. Yucky. It's really sick. And yeah, like yeah, life imitating art and shit. Like people pick up these views from movies. That's among why other do- places. But that's um, that's why we have problems with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's some stereotypes about sex. Yeah. <laughs> I've also done a, a, a this <laughs> a is really dive. interesting. Yeah. So like Neville Longbottom thinks you can't have sex if you have a disability. <laughs> Uh, he's wrong, <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, this is just something that I, well, so the, the main thing that I read about that I read was this article by, um, Gerald Christian et al, um, called quadriplegic sexuality, demystifying misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a good literature review about quadriplegic people's sexuality. Um, and then it's sort of, um, you know, they interviewed 10 people with quadriplegia and asked about their sex lives, basically. So they, they got 10 people to talk really frankly about their sex lives, and it's really interesting. Broadly, like, it's under-researched. And I think that just speaks to the fact that, well, the, the, the participants in the research say that they feel that able-bodied people see them as asexual. Mm. Like, as soon as you have your injury... That's it for your sex life. Yeah. Um, and that's just like categorically untrue. Ugh. Um, but I think that Without a doubt. That speaks to like that quote unquote disgust. Mm. Disgust is a super strong word, but it's it's just discomfort and yuckiness that people feel. They don't get it and they don't want to go there. Yeah. Um, and that it's also like a really under researched facet of disability. Um, and there's a lot of, in the actual research, a lot of misconceptions where they're like people with quadriplegia, you know, they've got enough on their plates without worrying about sex. This is very, this is, this is, this is decades ago, but this is, these are the... I wish you could see my face right now. (laughs) Um, and other things where like... Sex can be helpful for worries. (laughs) Yeah. And, but like they talk about sex only for reproduction, which apparently only 1% of people with quadriplegia are actually having sex for reproduction. 
um, according to something that they reference, I don't know what exactly that came from. The, the um, tenth of the one of ten people that they interviewed. <laughs> Sorry, delete that. <laughs> no, 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 that, that was from another paper. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this, this research is basically like saying that people with quadriplegia are sexual beings, if that needs to be stated. It kind of depends on their pre-injury sexuality. So I guess if somebody is asexual and then becomes quadriplegic. The disability doesn't not, change. It doesn't get them into sex. sexuality. Um, and, I mean, that kind of as well, like, people not only assume that people with quadriplegia are asexual, but they also assume that they're heterosexual. Um, oh, that's so true. So, like, yeah. it's it's even harder if you're queer. There's a really good Netflix show um, called Special, which we will definitely do at some point. We probably should have done that to make it something nice <laughs> rather than this movie. Um, but it's a gay man who is physically disabled. I can't remember. I think he does have cerebral palsy. Um, just, you know, trying to find a partner and, and date and stuff. And it's really, really good. So it's a, there's a, there are good examples that are trying to share maybe that, that's one example it's probably one of the few examples that's trying to send a more accurate message of sex and disability yeah and queerness now do, do they have sex in this movie i don't think so no they kiss okay well i mean it doesn't seem like they do i felt like it was implied that maybe they did why maybe. didn't they just show her that? well because it's <laughs> yucky for for, for us able-bodied people I mean, I before you even gave all this all this research, like just the the view that he there's just that impression that he can't have sex, and it's just assuming that sex is just penetrative sex. Yeah. Like I don't know if anyone listens to Dan Savage's podcast, but damn, there is a lot of different ways to have sex. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, these participants. Um, so some of them reported that they can't have orgasms or they can't, the male participants couldn't, couldn't necessarily get erections mm. um, or some of them had just reflex erections just from being touched with, yeah. without any sexual context. context. Um, but the majority of them kind of redefined their role in uh, when it came to sex as quote-unquote givers mm -hmm. um, where they mainly had oral sex. Um, they focused on their partners more than they did mm. prior to their injury. Um, and they talk about having like marathon sex where the, the duration of sex that they have increases after they, after they've acquired their disability. Sounds amazing. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they talk about it being better. Like some of them say that they feel that they're better Lovers. In in bed now mm. than they were beforehand. Um, they also talk about a mental orgasm, mm -hmm. which sounds cool. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that society's view of sexual sexuality as just for reproduction and also just to satisfy your own needs perpetuates some of these attitudes too. And the fact that, there's, that if you can't get an orgasm after your, your injury that sex becomes about pleasing the other person, that's still sex. Mm. Um, sex is only really talked about in a very black and white way often in society, so that comes into it a little bit. People with disabilities 
aren't there to teach us able-bodied people lessons. How to have sex. But <laughs> I think that we could learn, we a, thing could learn a thing or two from, from this article. Yeah. <laughs> I've got two, two, two little stereotypes. I just <laughs> okay, want to mention them. Just, just little one-shots. Last, last little bits. Um, the Australian nurse's voicemail starts with him saying, G'day. <laughs> Like, if no. I was an expat, I wouldn't say g'day. And I'd rarely say it now, except to my cat and my son. But what about, like, in Peep Show where he goes, oi, oi, to everyone? Like, is that a stereotype? Uh, I don't know. And second trope, um, Will calls Lou by her surname, Clark. Mm. As soon as somebody is calling a woman by their surname, they're gonna fuck. <laughs> well, they don't, do they? Because how, a... how dare he fuck? <laughs> I think it's implied. There's that scene where, like, they're lying in bed together and then it sort of pans away to the window and a a bottle of champagne spontaneously bursts (laughs) open and there's fireworks in the night. (laughs) Helpful or harmful, let's talk about the harmful things and the very few helpful things. Yeah. So, obviously, a very harmful message is that disability bad... Mm. Disability, not good. Yeah. Disability makes you not you or worthy or valued. That message is depicted not any better than the scene when he meets Amelia Clark for the first time and he hands it up or crips up as the character and pretends he's even more disabled than he is well like as soon as he as she lays eyes on him he like makes like gasping grunting yeah noises uh which is extremely offensive and it's done to scare her and make her like really uncomfortable so she's like oh god and as an audience we're supposed to be like oh no is this boy's like oh we're gonna have to watch two hours of him being like that oh how could she look after him oh, it's supposed mm. to be a love story how is she gonna fall in love with and then when you know he breaks out of it the audience is supposed to be like oh phew like oh my god where does the offense start and end <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> so offensive in so many ways it's like if um i don't know what else to say about it like yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I just, I keep, in my brain, I keep trying to defend that bit, like, a little bit. Like, I know, I know Why? it's I know it's bad. There are people out there with, I'm assuming he's trying to be, like, someone with cerebral palsy. Yeah. And, like, the fact that he's an actor pretending to have a disability who's pretending again to have a disability on top of the already fake disability. (laughs) It just gets ridiculous. It makes it, it's like super bad. Um, I can't defend it. (laughs) It's indefensible. And yeah, there's just so many little bits in in the movie that are like, oh, because you have a disability, you have less value. Like when he is waiting outside, like, I just be one of, I just want to be a man who went to a concert with a girl in a red dress a few minutes more. It's like this thing that happened doesn't count after it stops because I have a disability and you're my carer. Like it's, it's like your experiences have less weight. Like, you know, he's, he's only a person of value if he doesn't have a wheelchair with him. It's just weird. It's just wrong. Mm. Um, and to be honest, he wants to die because of the inconveniences of having a disability. Like 
I still think you're. I think you might be like belittling his experience a little bit. Yeah. If it was a uh, fleshed out movie depiction, then yes, but mm. I'm not. <laughs> but mm. it's not. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I don't know how much I'm falling prey to sort of ableist prejudices here, but like, and maybe it's just because the movie is 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 totally written from the perspective of able-bodied people. But like, I can appreciate that that somebody would suffer going from the, the you know transitioning from mm. being able-bodied to then being quadriplegic. Yeah. Um, and I can see how some people wouldn't be able to adapt. Yeah, for sure. And would continue to suffer for years after the fact. Yeah, 100%. But he just, he comes across very entitled as a character. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a douchey guy. But, like, I still, I think, you know, I, I believe that it's quite possible that he's suffering enough to want to die. It, yeah, it is quite possible that he is. But what he what he says is like, I get that this could be a good life, but this is not my life. You never saw me before. I loved my life. I can't be the kind of man that just accepts it. So he's actively, he knows that he could have a good life, but because it's not the life he had before, he cannot accept it. And if he was a real person, it would be more about mental health and resilience because we know as well as anybody else that your life can change very quickly. Mm-hmm. Not that sounds really entitled. We had a baby. It's different from, oh, from an injury. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, <laughs> everybody knows that life can change suddenly and majorly. Yeah, and um, it's not about forgetting the pain or pretending it's not happening or just being positive or all those stupid things messages but resilience is being able to make sort of reset that this is your new life and and exist in that new life and he just doesn't have that and that's not a physical thing that's a mental thing Mm. and it's almost like you know he's saying i can't be the kind of man that just accepts it it's like he's weak if he like he's not a man i don't know is it it supposed to be a masculinity thing uh Perhaps, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a a little thread of that throughout the movie. Oh, we'll get to that. (laughs) A direct quote from something I read is that the the sort of man who can accept it, quote, can only be constitutionally inferior to a determined, strong and uncompromising one. Yeah. So it's it's also a a value judgment on, on people who choose to live with their disability rather than die. Yeah. Which is super offensive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, if, if you can't have the best life possible, why even settle? Yeah. Yeah. He is, was and is super rich. This is what I'm saying. Like, if you're not as rich as him, is your life not worth living? Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly what I'm saying. I, I kind of, most people out there with a disability are not as rich as him. So are their lives, like, less good and mm. less meaningful or valuable because uh, they're choosing to live it? Come on, Will. Pull your Come head on. In. Um, obviously there's that disgust and depiction of disability being unattractive or unpleasant. There's a very harmful view of caregiving, I think, in this movie. Like, it's totally okay and normal to have zero training where you're employed to care for someone with a disability, including not knowing details about the illness. I don't even think she knows what the illness is. Mm. She, She could fucking look up. 
um, and what to do if he's unwell. It's like uh, people with disability aren't worth the care that they really need and, and deserve. Mm. I mean, Will Trainer's a jerk, but like <laughs> that's not... It's a little bit of a microcosm of the world we live in. Uh, disability and mental illness is extremely woefully underfunded and there's not enough support out there. Even with NDIS, it is a train wreck. Like, they're not worth someone well-trained to look after them. Mm. And that is actually pretty, sadly, the reality we live in. Mm. The I, the messages I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm going to get on a soapbox, but the messages I'm getting about people working in NDIS with people on plans is they're not very well trained. Why not? Because yeah. disability is not valued enough for there to be appropriate, adequate training. Um, and also like the depiction of things like therapy, like physio, when he's like, the nurse is like, he threw himself into it for a year and all he could touch was a finger and a thumb. Like that's actually a pretty amazing thing that happened mm. given the nature of his illness. And, um, you know, it's probably pretty realistic for someone in his condition that it takes a lot of work to build up that strength, etc., to do that. And that's like, he just, the message is like, he should just not bother because it takes so long, which is pretty insulting for physios too. <laughs> like your job is just not worth it because it takes too long. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's realistic though, isn't it? That you, I think you so, work hard yeah. and, and in some cases only make small gains. But I'm sure that the more gains create more gains. Like I don't, I don't, obviously I don't know the mm. extent of the illness, but um, touching a finger and thumb, there's so much you can do with your finger and thumb. You can throw pictures off your dresser Yeah, you can smash floor. your old photos somehow. <laughs> like he could access a device to... He could work if he wanted to. Hmm. Um, he could have a lot of autonomy and independence with a finger and a thumb. So I know this is being very pedantic about one detail, but it just diminishes that in hmm. the movie. Hmm. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it, it, it's not very kind to real-life people in the exact same boat. Yeah, who actually who think probably, that's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> That harmful message that life needs to be full for it to be worth living. Like what we were saying before with people with disabilities that don't have lots of money, the message that Will has is like, life is only worth living if you can do activities all day, every day, till you die. <laughs> when you're really, really old. And like he's saying to, to Amelia Clark, like, why would you want to settle in this country town or something? Like you should go out and live life. It seems like a beautiful town. I would live there. Mm. Well, yeah, like this whole the whole bucket list thing where like she's she's got six months to to prove to him that life is worth living, and in that time they just do all these like amazing things. And I suppose the idea is that for the rest of his life they're going to do those amazing things, um, which is not realistic. And um, life it's not really like pan out that way. It's not like a valid reason to stay alive if you don't want to be alive. Like. Like, she's not going to be there, like, making a concerted effort to make him want to be alive every single day. Like, if he made the decision not to die, you know? Also, it reminds me of, um, like, you know, in The Bachelor, they go on all these, like, oh, yeah. crazy dates where they're, like, helicopter, like, they're, yeah. you know, having picnics in hot air balloons and shit. And then, like, when they actually get married, they're, like, just going to go to the movies. Yeah. 
you know, like they're both going to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of their lives. Um, and that's what annoys me too about the fact that he's like, oh, my life's, I'm not going to have the life I had before, so I might as well die. Like, what about if you do, if he was to ma- marry his girlfriend or whatever, they're going to have kids, I'm assuming. It seems like he's that kind of guy. Uh, what does that mean? He we, would have, want, we have a child. He's one of us. Okay. <laughs> he, you know, there are times where he will have to not go on extreme adventures all the time. He's going to get old. Mm. He won't, he might get arthritis. You know, there's still being something that happens to him that will slow him down. Is he going to want to kill himself then? Like, Mm. well, I mean, maybe probably he might be somebody who euthanizes himself for being tired of living. (laughs) Really? I don't think this movie meant to open up so many cans. So many cans. So many cans. So many worms all over the floor from all these cans of worms. I've touched on mental health, but I also think that this movie is very negative about mental health because no one actually says he's suicidal. Um, No, it's kind of just implied. Yeah. You know, the message is don't accept your what's happened to you, just be sad and kill yourself. (laughs) Like, and, you know, if, if... uh, like why at no point during what was discussed or in the mo- like in the movie and in the actual movie was he offered any mental health support? Granted, he probably would have denied it, but like if she can get him to open up, then somebody could, you know. Like he would have been assessed, I believe. Someone assessed him as depressed and suicidal, and um, you know, the I think one of them says he can't be alone for fifteen minutes, um, but no one says oh it's because he might somehow. Uh, find a way to end his life and she only later realizes that she's on suicide watch no one actually says to her hey by the way this could happen (laughs) that is fucked up yeah that's pretty fucked uh they really dance around that issue which is just such it's 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 what they do in society and it just perpetuates that uh it's a very harmful like i can't believe it's just not mentioned that but but like at least sad (laughs) i mean a few things like Imagine you're the um, producer of the film, like, and you're you're decided like somebody's pitching it to you, and, and they're like, "Yeah, it's this movie about this guy with a disability," and you're the producer, and you're like, "Ooh, people aren't gonna want to watch that." And then they're like, "And he's also got a mental illness," and you're like, "Oh, like, no way! Like, we can't do disability and mental illness. That's insane. That's." Are you justifying that? No, no, I'm saying, like, <laughs> that would be total poison to people, who, someone who wants to make a movie to make yeah. money. Like, a big shark so, producer with a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, Frankie Sharp from Shark, Shark Records. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not surprised that they, they danced around the mental illness on, on, for that alone. He does say at the beginning of the film that, uh, you know, the previous people who did lose job just wanted to take him to support groups and things. And, mm. and so I get the sense that he has probably done something like that mm. and not been interested in it. Um, you know, he's got a consent yeah. to any mental health treatment. But there is some evidence, and I'm not sure how good quality it is, but that a lot of the people who are waiting for euthanasia meet criteria for depression and apparently this is this is this comes from an article that i read that was very anti euthanasia from a sanctity of life perspective 
Um, apparently, people often, as in like terminal cancer patients, often change their mind about going ahead with euthanasia after psychology. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be bullshit. Mm. It sounded like what, bullshit. What you to yeah, think. Um, but it you don't get the impression from the movie that that avenue was totally exhausted, mm-hmm. and maybe that six month bucket list extravaganza could have been complemented with weekly CBT. <laughs> <laughs> so, lastly, I think it's very harmful that they go and watch horse racing because horse racing is terrible, and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> You shouldn't. You shouldn't. If you're a horse, participate in it. If you're a horse, you you should stop racing. But is it a juxtaposition? Because in horse racing, once horses are deemed no longer useful, like they get injured or they, you know, they are retired, they are killed. You slash everyone, they shoot them, Um, because life is not worth living for them because they have no value anymore because they can't win any races. So, is it saying a similar thing about disability? Mm. Probably not. Because I don't I, think it's that deep. Well, like, <laughs> everything that goes into a film is deliberate. So, I, I mean, this isn't this the most well-thought-out film. But, yeah, it could be an allegory. The, the, the horse racing sequence is... Um, a lot of shit goes down. Yeah. Like, from the get-go, she chooses for whatever reason to park in, in, in the, the mud, mud instead of in a disabled car park yeah which i'm sure there were reasons for that and that looks like incredibly humiliating him trying to get out of he the gets car. he gets stuck in the mud coming out of the car and she and the australian guy can't get him out and then a bunch of blokes at the races in their tarakash suits come and help him out yeah and they all seem like really nice about it but it's obviously ultra ultra humiliating and i feel like that scene is like played for laughs but it just cringe cringe fest i didn't think it was meant to be for laughs i uh, yeah i thought it was meant to be cringy because you know this this guy you know he's very proud and like he doesn't want other people's help so like you know, you viewing it from that perspective, you feel uncomfortable on his behalf. Yeah. But it's not presented. So, like, the Ingham article that I keep referring to sort of says that that, that issue isn't presented as, like, look at how society doesn't accommodate him. Like, mm. you're, you're a privileged, presumably able-bodied viewer. Look at this shit thing that happened. It's not presented like that. Um, It's presented as this is an irritating problem caused by Will's condition. Mm -hmm. So the condition is blamed, not society. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) But again, like sort of talking about logistical things, I guess in some ways it's kind of good that they presented this. Um, They just could have done it more nuancedly and less... On the nose. Was anything helpful in this movie? Um, there was one thing that I came across which was talking about like the way that disability is presented in film and also like viewed more generally 
and sort of the original way that disability was viewed, you know, like from historically was the medical model where people with disabilities, their bodies are kind of considered to be a deviation from what's normal mm-hmm. and that needs to be like identified, pathologized, treated, hopefully cured. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting stuff about um, medical photography and how it's like quote unquote objective, like an objective presentation of different, again, quote unquote abnormalities and the way they cover up the subject's eyes in those photos, mm. which is sort of for dignity and anonymity, anonymity, but it's also like to prevent being looked back at oh, as a viewer. Anyway, interesting. that's that's a it. Just makes ones. them look like they're criminals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah also that. Um, but um, one one of the articles I read said that that the film doesn't really buy too much into the medical model stuff because mm. it doesn't present too much of his actual biological issues. True. Like, I kind of disagree. Like, I think it goes into it to some extent, but it's not the main purpose of the film. Well, they don't even tell her in the beginning, so... (laughs) Yeah. And it also highlights some uh, flaws to the medical model when it's sort of... when, When Pat, the boyfriend reckons that his exercise regime would fix Will. Mm. Like it kind of says, it's kind of saying like this medical stuff isn't going to fix this problem. Yeah. In a way. But I think it also, he does have a lot of medical treatment throughout the film. So I don't know. The other. I I, I saw the boyfriend is like one of those stupid wellness people that be like, oh, and (laughs) it happens all the time. You've got, this disability, I've got an oil that will cure it. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you just need to eat more kale or something. Yeah. So, yeah, the article I read said that that, that isn't so much in this film. I, I think it kind of is to an extent, but... It, 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 and that the other sort of historical view of disability is the tragedy model, mm. where people with disability are just victims of devastating circumstance, um, and it's like bad luck... Yeah. And people with who are able-bodied, you know, are better off. Mm-hmm. Um, and people with disabilities might be better off dead. Um, mm. And then, and then the filmmakers kind of capitalize on that to to make the audience feel pity yes. or inspired or whatever it might be. I guess. You... And yeah, the film is absolutely that. Like... <laughs> I guess you could make a case that he does have autonomy by going ahead with his decision to end his life, to go through voluntary assisted dying. And it's good to see a depiction of that on screen. Mm. I don't think it's a good depiction, as we've already discussed, but we don't have one. Uh, maybe <laughs> That's, that could be seen as a positive. I think it's a really complex topic that they've decided to take on and in some respects, I initially thought that they did a reasonably good job of, like, weighing up in a filmic way, like, autonomy versus, like, suffering and mm. um, versus sanctity of life. And mm-hmm. it, it's actually kind of, for, a, like, a dumb rom-com, it sort of um, Trojan horses in some... Stuff that I thought was quite interesting. It made it did make you think and it, discuss. Yeah, and it didn't go. It didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Like I didn't think that 
I didn't think euthanasia was going to come into it. Like, because I went <laughs> when into it When you find out, you're anything. like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think it's good that it shows some of the unhelpful attitudes that people have. Mm. Like the boyfriend and, and little things like the dad trying to shake his hand and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like that's that's probably good stuff to, to put out there. I but think. maybe in a different Correct movie me if I'm wrong. where he, he lives well, like, <laughs> in the end and has a great life. These are just like little, you know, little victories throughout what's overwhelmingly yeah. harmful. Yeah, yeah. I also just like that she doesn't talk down to him and mm. gives him, you know, when he gives her shit, she gives it back. Like mm. she doesn't treat him any differently than anyone else. Mm. Um, and, you know, as much as her dad... F's up a little bit. He does say, look, you're sharp as a tack. You can go back to work. Like, they see his value, mm. um, which I like. And also, you know, she gives him a bit of a serve when he's being an arsehole and says he cannot be an arse. So I like that it is acknowledged that he can be an arsehole. Yeah. Just because he has a disability doesn't mean he's allowed to be. That's that all you I auto- automatically treat them Wrap like, them in cotton oh, wool, yes. like, oh, you can, you can treat me like shit because you're suffering, so mm. you're allowed to. That's never the case. Yeah. You can still be nice. Um, yeah, that's all my, that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the things I thought were helpful. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else we want to touch on before we do our final tally score? Can I just add a little aside? Oh, here we go. <laughs> like. One of your fav- famous Michael sides. Um, it's got all these like juxtapositions, like uh-huh. all these really dumb like tropes. Like the horse racing? Well, that was an allegory that you called a juxtaposition. But like she wears all these bright and colourful clothes, but he wears dark clothes. Ooh. Symbolic. Symbolic. And then when he feels a bit better one day, he wears a blue shirt. <gasps> Mm. And he gets a haircut, doesn't he? He, yeah, yeah. That, that's such a trope. Shaving oh. the beard off. Hello, handsome. And her boyfriend is very fit and jogs a lot, but Will, who she loves, is in a wheelchair. Dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also like class, mm-hmm. he's very rich, but sad boy, and she's a bit poor, but happy, happy girl. girl. <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> oh, wait. You, <laughs> Neville Longbottom. Bottom. <laughs> what happened? Likes Will Ferrell, but quadriplegic man likes French cinema. Yeah. So <laughs> just think about that. <laughs> okay. I think it's just like, I don't know. I think it's just shorthand. Like they're trying to make you see what's happening in the story in like an economical kind of way, but it's just fucking dumb. Also, she doesn't do much. Will did everything. Yeah. yeah. It might even, like, be setting up a bit of an us versus them type. I don't know. It's just a bit... I don't know. Like... I, he, I think it's just dumb. I also... I don't think he changed much after his um, injury, but in a world where he was an able-bodied person, I would not be rooting for him. No. He would be... It. Dick. I mean, he is a dick, but like, it wouldn't be a very fun movie. <laughs> no. But are we rooting for him? What? I think the I film think wants us to be, to be. We're meant to be rooting for him to kill himself. I don't. 
no, we're supposed to be rooting for him to not kill himself and for her to change his mind. Right. It's a tragic, tragic romance. <laughs> What's the final Final tally? Lived experience, zero. Big zero. Big fat zero. Accuracy. Yeah. Some qualities there. Some, some, maybe half a point for me. I think it's pretty accurate. Stereotypes, rife. 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 Riddled with them. Riddled. Uh, It doesn't get a point for me there. And harmful or versus helpful. I'd say harmful overwhelmingly. What do you think? I agree. I think um, this film is just so harmful to outweigh any of the Any of the positives. I don't even want to give it that half point, to be honest. Mm. But there are some accuracies there. I think trying to deal with euthanasia, that's an interesting thing that they've done. And and I liked that. And, And it was, like, a lot better than you would have you would expect for a film like this. But it could have done so much better. And it doesn't sound like the creators actually, from what we've researched and read, actually dealt with it with with as much research and knowledge as they should have. Mm. And it's a fucking big thing to tackle. Yeah. Not just euthanasia, but for disability uh, and all of the other little things it touched on, like... Be very responsible when you're going to touch that in a film. Like, don't just make it a, a tearjerker for dumb people. Mm. Any last thoughts? I guess I just wanted to say again that we are able-bodied and I hope that we haven't said anything too terribly wrong. But if we have, please let us know. Yes, please. Um we're very it's privileged. not people's jobs to educate us on these things. We've tried our best to be educated. But if we've fucked up, please tell us. Yes. I really thank you, Michael, for doing so much reading. I really spoke about this just from my experience working in the disability field, but that's that's only out where we've where we've got our information from. So we probably have got a lot of things wrong. And we're sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there'll be some overlap in what we talk about today and our next movie. Not so much in the content itself, but in the the messages. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's it's along a similar vein. But I uh, I'm looking forward to talking about the um, you know, the Twitter meltdowns. Yeah, she doesn't have Twitter. She's deleted her Twitter. Yeah. So all because of this. I movie. can't even reflect on the meltdowns. They're gone. Well, well. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. This is been a hoot <laughs> let's do something a little bit more um of a of a good depiction next because i think we need that yeah i think so too yeah um although queen's gamut was pretty good please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast uh like and rate and review our episodes and follow us on Insta and Twitter and Facebook and oh, I think I actually set up a YouTube page too because we what? need it for the live stream. What? Oh, okay, right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we're all on we're on all the things now, and we'll catch you soon. Miffy, say goodnight. Yeah, we'll we'll do our answer one day. Um, the fuck was that?